0: Greetings and welcome to the First Timothy Sermon Series here at Good Shepherd OPC, a mission work of Cornerstone here in Houston. My name is Miller Ansel, the church planning intern who delivers these sermons on Sunday evenings at 5 o'clock. Please check out our website at gsopc.org for more information on our evening worship as well as our midweek Bible study. Here is this week's sermon. Please remain standing and uh, turn in your copy of scriptures to First Timothy chapter one. 1 Timothy 1. This sermon is on verses 8 through 11. We'll start in verse 3 and read through 11. So this is the Word of God. Please give it your full attention as it is read. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Our Lord, open our eyes that we may see the wondrous things of your law and gospel. May we know the certainty of those things in which we are instructed, and let our knowledge grow up to all riches of full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of you. Give us understanding according to your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, sometimes, as fallen human beings, we are given to overreactions. Uh, This can be over petty issues. Perhaps you're making tacos one night for dinner. You send your spouse to the store for the Tapatio hot sauce. Uh, They forget the hot sauce and come back and you say, where is it? He said, you forgot the tapatio? I guess we're not having tacos. I guess we're not eating at all tonight. Well, it's a silly example of an overreaction. Uh, but often, or not often, but sometimes overreactions can also be very serious. You might think of an example where a person says, oh, I grew up listening to my, my family debate religion and debate about denominations, and so I've just decided to not be religious at all. That's an overreaction that is very serious and has very serious consequences. Too often, when we strongly oppose something or strongly oppose someone, we go to opposite erroneous extremes. Now, last week, the Apostle Paul told Timothy, and he told us, that there are false teachers that uh, long to be teachers of the law, but they're actually ignorant of the law. They don't even know what they're talking about. An overreaction might be to just throw out the law completely and have nothing to do with it. Paul seems to anticipate that objection and counters it with the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Paul keeps us from overreacting and keeps us centered on what God has actually taught about the law. See, this overreaction of just trashing the law is not unusual in our day. Many hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they think that means that the law has no place in the life of the Christian. But Paul corrects such an erroneous overreaction by showing that the law is to be used lawfully and is in accordance with sound teaching and the gospel. So this evening... We'll spend much time looking at the purpose and function of the law, and then look at its relationship to the gospel. So these false teachers, they misuse the law, but the law is good. Paul cannot be tricked. Uh, Remember who he was. Paul was a man reared big time in the law. Um, He knew this Old Testament Mosaic law, uh, particularly the moral aspects of it, very well, right? He knew it right to left because uh, it was in Hebrew, and he knew it left to right. He even knew it backwards. And he, and now, uh, he certainly had a misunderstanding of the law prior to his conversion, right? He didn't see Christ as the Messiah. But when he met Christ on the road to Emmaus, he understood the law. He understood what it pointed to, and he understood the proper and lawful use of it. And so Paul sees exactly what these false teachers are doing, he's correcting it. In the church. Paul saw how they misunderstood both the law and the gospel. Very typical in false teachers, very common uh, in all cults. They all misunderstand who God is, who Christ is, what Christ came to do for sinners, and they all misunderstand the relationship between the law and the gospel. And these particular First century false teachers seem to be teaching some form of perfectionism. And this belief, still around today, says that you can be completely righteous and you can be completely holy in this life based upon your good works, based upon your keeping of some sort of law. You can stop sinning, they say. We note this from 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 through 5. Uh, he talks about the certain ascetic practices of these false teachers. They say, don't marry, don't eat certain foods. How common it is of such hypocrites that they are to ignore God's law and make up laws that are easier to keep. Those laws are very easy to keep. Uh, We also note from 2 Timothy 3, 5, these false teachers have the appearance of godliness. So they come across very holy. They come across as perfect in this life. But we know that one who says, He has no sin as a liar, and lying is a sin. There's no perfect person. We are all sinners. We cannot be perfect in this life. Uh, Very common. Such hypocrites, false teachers, view themselves as these champions of the law. But then they turn around, and we see that they're great despisers of the law and their practice. If you watch a false teacher long enough, you will see that they don't live up to the expectations of God's law. So these false teachers misuse God's law in order to teach that one can become perfectly godly in this life by adhering to their made-up laws or their relaxing of the law. Certainly, that's not the purpose of the law of God. That's an awful use of the law. Well, then why was the law given? Well, we love to talk about the law has three uses. And it's mainly the second use, actually, that is up front and center here in 1 Timothy 1, uh, although we could really talk about all three, right? You remember the first use of the law uh, shows us our sinfulness and it drives us to Christ. This means that we are great sinners and we need a great Savior. It also causes us to act with humility, unlike these false teachers who are arrogant and proud. These men would have looked down on disobedient sinners, but when we understand that we are sinners as well. We ought to have nothing but mercy and grace for one another, not thinking we are better than our fellow man. The third use of the law is so that Christians know how to act in what pleases the Lord. We had a recent Bible study through the Sermon on the Mount. It's a giant study on the third use of the law, where Jesus says, you have been saved, now act like this. The third use of the law. And Paul says here, interestingly, I skipped the second on purpose. We're coming to it now because it's the main thrust. Interestingly, Paul says here that the law is not for the just. Also, it could be translated it's not for the righteous, it's for the disobedient. I thought Scripture, you know, I thought Romans 3, the same Paul who wrote 1 Timothy wrote Romans, doesn't he remember that he wrote, No one is righteous, no, not one? Uh, Yes, he does. He hasn't forgotten. Not only that, it's the same Holy Spirit writing both of those. There's no contradiction. Uh, But what's happening here is that um, Paul's speaking of righteousness in relative terms, not absolute. We're not talking about God's absolute standard of righteousness. We're simply speaking relative to one another. Um, So he's speaking, really, of the believer and the unbeliever. The law is not laid down for the Christian who longs to conform to the law, even though we don't. He's talking of the unbeliever who wants nothing to do with the law of God. You might think of um, the second use of the law like this, our own speed limits that we have. The laws on speed limits are not so that uh, those who want to drive carefully will drive carefully. It's not laid down for the just the righteous driver. It's laid down for those who want to drive recklessly. It's a restraint upon them to conform to safe driving. And so it is here that Paul is pointing out that the law is not laid down for the Christian who wants to conform to it. The law is there for those who want to go beyond it and be reckless and sin against God. So the law is given as a restraint upon the unbeliever so that he's not as wicked as he could be. Let us also note that this law is dealing with moral questions, not speculative questions. As we went over last week, the false teachers make their speculations (laughs) and they have no idea what they're talking about. Paul is dealing with the laws that actually came from God. And we know, of course, the uh, Ten Commandments are that moral summary uh, of the law. And Paul actually gives us a list here. Of various sins associated with the Ten Commandments. Uh, So you can note in verses 9 and 10, we have this long list of sins. And it might seem a little vague in dealing with the first four commandments, but uh, stay with me here. In verse 9, he talks about the uh, lawless and the disobedient. Now, that's a summary. All who break the law are, by definition, lawless. Correct. Lawless and disobedient. They're disobedient to the law. And here he launches in to the the first of the Ten Commandments. For the ungodly. Right? The first commandment to uh, have no other gods before the one true God. Uh, Those who uh, don't love the Lord their God are ungodly. They don't worship the true Lord. Uh, Secondly, the second commandment to not make graven images, he calls the sinners. Thirdly, he talks about those who are unholy, right? The third commandment is dealing with the holy use of God's name, to not take the name of the Lord, uh, your God, in vain. Well, those who do take it in vain are unholy, as Paul says. And fourthly, related to keeping the Sabbath, Paul calls them uh, profane, which was a uh, more Old Testament way of speaking of those who broke the fourth commandment uh, to keep the Sabbath holy. They profaned the Sabbath. Well, okay, those first four might be somewhat vague, but the next uh, five are very clear that we're dealing with the Ten Commandments here. And he seems to make this list by giving us some of the most egregious breakings of those commandments. And we see this in the Fifth Commandment. Fifth Commandment is what? To honor our parents. And he talks about those who strike their mothers and fathers. Now, that is a great breaking uh, of the Fifth Commandment. Uh, to hit one's parents in Exodus 21 was punishable by death. It's very serious. The sixth commandment, to not murder. He gives us murderers. (laughs) What's uh, more egregious than uh, killing somebody made in the image of God? So do not murder, and he just sticks with murder. And then we come to the seventh commandment, not committing adultery. This is probably the most controversial one on Paul's list. He gives two examples for this command the sexually immoral, and the homosexuals. Now, I've referenced in the last two sermons the spirit of the age. And the spirit of our age is tolerance. They're not exactly tolerant of those who think homosexuality is sinful, though. Uh, In fact, some will go to great lengths to say that the word here that Paul uses uh, does not mean homosexual. It actually means a, a pedophile or a male prostitute. Uh, but not homosexuals. Well, it is a word that is not often used in Scripture uh, or ancient Greek literature uh, at all. In fact, uh, this is a word that Paul himself might have actually coined. It's a a compound word. It's male bed, man bed in Greek. That's what Paul is saying. Uh, Likely has Leviticus 20.13 in mind. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed abomination. So thus, Paul's term here is a euphemism for homosexuality. There's no reason to assign another meaning to this term. But let me also make one thing clear as well, that if a Christian hates someone simply because they are a homosexual, or if a Christian refuses to have anything to do with somebody because they're part of the LGBTQ plus community, then the Christian needs to take a long, hard look at their own life. Recall the the love and the grace and the mercy that others have shown us. Recall the grace, mercy, and love that God has shown us as well. Uh, Simply because we believe homosexuality is a sin does not mean that we can stop loving our homosexual neighbor. Um, We love all of our neighbors, We love all of them that break the sins on this list. And you even think about uh, some of the greatest men in Scripture, right? Paul was a murderer, the guy writing this letter. Uh, Peter was a liar. David was sexually immoral. But they were shown love. And we must show show love as well. And I've spent a great deal more time on that illustration of Paul's, uh, but it's very pertinent to the time that we live in. And much more could be said, but uh, let's move on. The Eighth Commandment here. Uh, eighth Commandment, of course, deals with stealing. Paul gives the example of the enslaver or the man-stealer. I think the KJV says those who kidnap or take captive somebody in order to sell them as a slave. Uh, again, in Exodus 21, the man-stealer was put to death. It's quite a heinous sin to steal somebody in order to sell them into slavery. Ninth commandment, do not lie, lying by itself, but also perjury that Paul lists. Uh, It's an egregious sin to uh, swear by the Lord's name, say in a court of law, and then turn around and lie. Well, the list stops there. We don't see Paul speaking of the tenth commandment to not covet, perhaps because the hearer would complete the list. Perhaps because he's lumping in uh, covetousness with uh, general idolatry in the first commandment. Or maybe because his point's already been made. This is why the law has been laid down. It is very clear. The law is given not for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. For the unbeliever who hates to conform to God's law. And at the end of verse 10, we find that these ten commandments that Paul has just gone through are sound doctrine, he says. One who wishes to be read of the Ten Commandments would be like these false teachers wanting to insert their own commandments. Um, But Paul tells us, no, the Ten Commandments are in accord with sound doctrine. And the word here, actually, for sound is healthy. It's healthy doctrine. Uh, Paul's using a metaphor. And so he's saying, if you want to be spiritually healthy, like many of us long for physical health, then believe what is in accord with healthy doctrine. Don't be duped by the false teachers wanting to sell you something contrary to the word of God. And do you know what that means? It means that, while you might find doctrine boring, and I hope you don't, but it shows us that doctrine is absolutely necessary for good spiritual health. Wretched doctrine leads to wretched living, but healthy doctrine leads to healthy living. We go to doctors for our spiritual health, or whatever a doctor can do for your body. The Word of God does ten times more for your spiritual health. The same can be said of the Lord's Supper that we'll take this evening. Uh, The imagery of it, and eating the bread, and drinking the wine, part of that symbol is to show the spiritual health as bread and wine nourishes our physical bodies, so we are spiritually feeding on the Lord. And he is nourishing our spiritual health. So be healthy in your doctrine. Be healthy in the life of your soul. Why? Because healthy doctrine is in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. In verse 11. So there's a connection between sound doctrine and the gospel. If your doctrine is promoting good advice rather than the good news, it is not sound. Or if your doctrine promotes the glory of man and not the glory of God, that is not sound. It must be in accordance with the gospel. And this section of 1 Timothy sets up nicely to talk about the law and the gospel. Why do we need the good news? Because of that first lawful use of the law we talked about. The first one that shows us that we haven't measured up. That we have broken God's law perhaps not as extreme as some of these uh, sins that Paul has listed, uh, but we've certainly at least thought some of those things. That is still a terrible breaking of the law to have sinned in our hearts. So we're all guilty of disobeying God's law and deserve his wrath. That's the bad news. There's good news too, that although we deserve these things, the Father sent the Son, who is Jesus Christ, to follow the law that we could not keep and the righteousness of his perfect life has been credited to the account of murderers of the sexually immoral of liars to all kinds of sinners there's no one so sinful that the lord would not reach out to tonight with salvation if you repent of your sin turn to him in faith his body was broken his blood was poured out for your sins Believe it. Don't fall prey to false teachers that want to misuse the law. And don't overreact by throwing the law completely out. It's a certainty that we're going to face uh, these false teachers. And Paul warns Timothy about these false teachers of the law, when only a few decades earlier, uh, Jesus himself was combating false teaching. Uh, He had the Pharisees to deal with and the Sadducees. Uh, These teachers of the law who thought they knew everything, but they knew nothing. They changed the laws so that it glorified themselves and not God. Their obedience was skin deep, and it led many astray. They actually taught that one could hate their enemy, that you should hate your enemy. That's not healthy doctrine. Praise God, that's not truly his law to hate our enemies, because as we've seen, we were Christ's enemies, and he loved us. While we were still his enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, Romans 5.10. Now that is a glorious and blessed God, one who pities people, one who loves them, even when they hated him. Now may the grace of our Lord overflow for you this very evening. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we praise you that you loved us when we were still your enemies. We adore you for the mercy you lavished upon us when we were undeserving and breakers of your law. Lead us not to overreact against your law, but to rightfully use it in our lives. Do not give us to false teaching, but keep us spiritually healthy. Keep us feeding on your word and sacraments to conform us into the image of of our Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.